Welcome to another Sunday morning Salvation by Grace message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly in Smyrna, Tennessee. Grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. been talking for weeks now about be the Christian. That is a phrase that I started using in the very early days of GCA. And usually I would put it in the context of 
regardless of what everybody else does, even if the whole world, all your friends, your family, everyone you know, even if they all apostatize, you be the Christian. And I was trying to emphasize the relationship, the vertical relationship between you and God, you and your Savior, and that that is a unique relationship to you and your Savior, and so it should not be influenced by what anybody else does. Then along the way, as we were talking about being Christian, we started talking about the benefits of Christianity, the first of which was all your sins are forgiven. That seems like a pretty big benefit. The end of Christianity is that Christ is your Savior, that he has paid the redemption price to pay for all your sin debt before a righteous and holy God. That's a really big benefit. And then, because you have to continue living here in this mortal flesh, and you have to struggle with your own sinfulness and your own inherent depravity, the second benefit is that you do get the Holy Spirit. You do get help to stop consciously sinning. Yes, we do all still stumble into sin. That still happens. That's part of what it is to be human. But we have help. We have a high priest, and we have the Holy Spirit within us who acts as a governor on our behavior, who leads us into all truth and all righteousness. So that's a pretty big benefit. You're not on your own, left alone to appease that righteous and holy God. Number three was that the Holy Spirit actually inhabits you and therefore educates you and therefore guides you. That is what it is to be born again. That's what regeneration is all about. And then we talked about the fact that Jesus is not only your high priest sacrificing to God on your behalf, but he's also your intercessor. He's also your lawyer. He's also the one who pleads your case in the high court of heaven, and he pleads your innocence based on his own sacrifice of himself. So he's got a pretty rock-solid argument, which is why Paul could say things like, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? If you've been elected by God, and if you've been fully redeemed by the finished work of Christ, well, then there's nothing more for you to add to it, and there's nothing that the accuser, Satan, can hold against you that's going to stick because not only did your high priest sacrifice himself in order to satisfy the righteous demands of God, but then he is also there constantly pleading your case based on his own finished work and not based on you or your behavior. So that's a pretty big benefit. Yes. So far we're feeling good about the benefits, huh? Yes. Number five that we looked at last week was you have peace with God, you have rest from worry and fear, and you have confidence and contentment that no one and nothing can take away from you. Once you know that you're okay with God as a result of what Christ has done, then you're okay. I mean, it's psychological, it's emotional, it's even social and financial. If you know that God has got your back, then what can men do to you? That's what we read last week. 
So that seems like a really good list of benefits of being a Christian. So does that mean I'm done now? Oh, no. There are so many more benefits of Christianity we have to talk about because I haven't even gotten into the earthly blessings yet that are part of your life. I've been concentrating on the spiritual blessings that come as part of Christianity. But there are also physical, material, earthly blessings that you are promised as a result of your relationship with Christ. So that's number six. We're going to start talking today about the fact that your earthly material needs are all promised to be taken care of if you're in fact just concentrating on the things of God. God will take care of the things of this life and the things of this planet. So not only are you promised that everything necessary for your full, complete salvation and redemption has all been accomplished by God, but you're also going to hear Jesus himself say that all your earthly necessities are taken care of. Here, let's test that theory for just a moment. We're starting right off with a test theory, and I'm going to ask you, oh, I won't ask you to raise your hand. I know you all hate that. How many of you hate it when I ask you to raise your hand? Come on. Okay. Tricked you into it anyway. Okay, so however old you are, think about your age right now. It's depressing, I know. Think about your age. The only person not depressed right now is like Erica. She's like, yeah, 16. What do you want? But think about your age. Now think about your lifespan so far. Did you ever go without? Were you ever without food? I mean, really without food. I mean, just famine without food. Were you ever without clothing? Well, that is the constant promise that you see all the way through the Bible. The two things that God promises his people, food and raiment, food and raiment. It comes up over and over again, food and clothing. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to clothe you. Part of the reason that we sang, count your blessings this morning, is because God has given us so much more than food and raiment. But if we only had something to eat and something to wear, God has kept his promise. He's done his job. He gave you something to eat today and something to wear today. And the vast majority of us have too much to eat and too much to wear. We invented closets so that we could keep all our extra stuff to wear. And because we have kitchens and refrigeration and microwaves and drive-through hamburgers and everything else, we, we have ready access to food and raiment, food and raiment all the time. But then on top of that, we have tremendous other blessings. Most everybody here lives somewhere. You have a house. We all have a place to live. We're all safe. We're all secure. We're out of the elements. We're not in the rain. That's a tremendous blessing. Do you know how every one of you got here today? You drove a car. He didn't promise you a car. That was never a promise of God. And yet I guarantee if he was to take away your house or your car, some of your creature comforts, maybe even just the internet, if he took that away from you, you'd start feeling like you were deprived because we have such a high standard of blessings at this point that we've become accustomed to our blessings, and we think this is what God owes me. And he doesn't owe you anything but food and raiment. And you have 
more food than you know what to do with, and more raiment than you know what to do with, and that's because God is abundantly gracious to you. I think if we were to follow the advice of that song and start counting our blessings, I don't think we'd ever get done. Because even in the midst of counting, you'd have to realize that your brain was still working and you'd have to thank God for that blessing. If you got up this morning and knew your own name, that's a blessing. That's God, God providing for you. If you had a reasonable night's sleep, wouldn't that be wonderful to have a reasonable night's sleep? If you had a reasonable night's sleep, the Bible says that's God. God's the one who gives you the comfort, the security to sleep. So everything you've got, everything you are, everything you know, everything you hope for, everything you're looking forward to, all the things that you know you're protected from, the wrath of God cannot get you, you are not appointed to wrath, all of those things are all blessings from God, and everything you have, everything you do, every morsel of food you put in your mouth, every t-shirt you put on your back, that is a blessing from God. And when was the last time any of you sat down and said, thank you for this t-shirt? But we ought to, because in a moment, Jesus is going to say, he's the one that provides for that. So turn to Matthew 6. Your earthly and material needs will all be taken care of. This section is Jesus speaking, so pretty good authority. We're talking about the one who spoke everything into existence. And that means that he's in control of everything. What I mean by that is, if he promises you, I will provide for you, he has the ability to provide with his words. I mean, that's a pretty good provider. If you have to pay your taxes like the apostles did, he was able to go over and take a coin out of a fish's mouth. Actually, he didn't go over. He told them to do it because he's able to just speak reality. So when he makes promises to you like the promises we're going to read this morning, take it seriously and then look back on your life and realize that it's always worked. He's always provided for you. I'm going to start reading at Matthew 6, verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried. First problem right there. We talked about it last night. Stress and worry is a killer. People get all freaked out about tomorrow and next week and next month and what's going to happen a year from now. You're not worried about today. Today, you're going to get through it. You're dressed. You've had something to eat. You're all right. You're going to get through today. Even if you ate nothing else today, you'd be okay today. But people have nervous breakdowns worrying about tomorrow and the next day and what's going to happen. Jesus starts with, don't worry. Why can he say that? Well, for all the reasons I just tried to elucidate, he is the one who spoke everything into existence. Therefore, he can provide for you whatever it is you need at any given moment. And he cares about you enough that he has promised to provide it. So don't worry. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. There it is, food and raiment. And Jesus just said, 
God has promised you food and raiment, so don't worry about it. You don't have to freak out about food and raiment. God's got that. And then he gives examples, and I love these examples. He says, look at the birds in the air. They do not sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. That's all the stuff we do. We actively sow the seed. We actively have to reap the grain after it grows. We have to store the grain. We put it up in barns. Okay, I'm all right now. I've got a barn full of food, so everything's going to be all right for a little while. He says, look at the birds. They don't do any of that effort. They don't put any of that work in that you do because you're so concerned to, to make sure that you're providing for tomorrow and next week and next month. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. And are you not worth much more than they are? I mean, two sparrows sold in the marketplace for half a penny. So not exactly really valuable animals, and yet they all eat. And Jesus just said, God feeds them. So the insects, the worms, the seeds, the whatever else the birds are out there eating, you didn't provide it. When was the last time any of you went out and dug up earthworms for the local birds? You didn't do it. When was the last time any of you took the time to make sure that the hyenas were fed? Never. That never occurred to you. You don't feed snakes. Probably a good idea on everybody's part. You don't feed lions. You don't, you don't take care of the, the animals out there that are, there's not a sea creature out there that any of you fed. You may try to catch some, but you don't feed any. God feeds them. So Jesus' argument is, if there's all those billions of creatures on planet Earth who every single day get fed because of the will and the divine sovereignty of God who takes serious the upkeep of his own creation, if he's busy taking care of that much every day, isn't he going to take care of you? Is he going to take care of birds and animals and hyenas and ostriches and skip you? Are you not worth much more than they? And then... Really good question in verse 27. Who of you, by being worried, the King James is by taking thought, I do believe, but which of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? You can't make your life any longer. When it's time to go, it's time to go. You can't increase the lifespan that you are living right now. And so Jesus says, look, if you can't do that, then you don't need to be worried about life because God is going to provide for you. Here's how he puts it. Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil and they do not spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Solomon was the richest man in the Middle East, the most powerful man in the Middle East. He lived in glory and splendor and yet he never dressed himself the way that a lily is dressed. A lily is a beautiful thing and yet it just grows in the field. It's just there. And so Jesus just covered food and raiment. 
He said, God feeds the birds, he's going to feed you. God clothes the grass, he's going to clothe you. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry then saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? Food and raiment, food and raiment. Remember too that he's talking to people who are in the Middle East. There's a lot of desert area. It was difficult to find clean water, pure water that you could drink. So part of the promise from Jesus is you'll have food, you'll have something to drink, you'll have water, very important element, and you're going to have something to wear. So don't worry about it. Okay, so how good are we at following the instruction of Jesus? Not too good. Anybody here been worried about anything lately? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anybody worrying about what about tomorrow? Mm-hmm. What about next week? You have no promise. You have no guarantee from God that you're going to be here next week. What you got is today. Today is your blessing. So today, whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. Enjoy the life that he has given you. You have no guarantee that you'll be here to actually experience the things that you're driving yourself crazy about today. So Jesus himself would say, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing for the Gentiles? That's the unbelieving Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. Remember at this moment, Jesus is still just teaching among the Jews. He hasn't reached out to the Gentile nations yet. He hasn't been to the cross yet. And so the reference to Gentiles would be those that aren't informed, those who don't have the forefathers, who don't have the prophets, who don't have the scripture. Those are the Gentiles, the unbelievers. He said the Gentiles eagerly seek all that stuff, food, raiment. They assemble that stuff to themselves, and that's where they find their sense of security and well-being because they have no confidence in God or God's ability to provide. The Gentiles eagerly seek for all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Isn't that good to know? Isn't it good to know that God himself, the almighty, the magnificent, the one who is in charge of keeping planets and universes spinning in their massive orbits across the infinite planes of space and is also in charge of every molecule and every atom in everybody's individual bodies and brains and he keeps everything spinning in perfect order so that it works, we just call it nature, but it's the divine sovereignty of God at work, which is the only reason that this planet works. The only reason you could count on the sun coming up is because that's the way God designed it, and he empowered it, and he made sure that there was a sun today. Well, look, God's plan works. He's got so much to do. That's all I'm emphasizing. He has so much to do. He has so many things that he's in charge of. He has so many things that if he ever neglects them or forgets about them, universes are going to crash into each other, or people are going to get immediately sick and die. He's constantly dealing with so much stuff, and yet, Jesus says, on a very personal level, he knows what you need. 
He knows what things you need. And it's his good pleasure to give it to you. It's his good pleasure. I remember listening to Eddie Jacks years ago at the conference in Chattanooga. And it was such a nice take on that idea because he finished his sermon by saying, we're going to stand before God and say thank you. Thank you for everything you did. Thank you for sustaining me. Thank you for feeding me. Thank you for clothing me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me eternity. Thank you for letting me share in this splendor. Thank you for making me joint heir with your son. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And he's going to say, my pleasure. Because it is the very pleasure of God to give you what you need. The Gentiles eagerly seek after all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What's included in all these things? He's referred to it a couple of times. All these things. Food and raiment, the necessities of life. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. So then should you be worried? Here's the contrast. Are you going to worry about it? Are you going to worry about your own ability to make some money, to go buy those things, to have those necessities? Or are you going to have confidence in God and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, as in be the Christian? If you are seeking his righteousness, he's going to provide for you. I... I feel very much like Paul when he says, I know how to abound, I know how to suffer lack, but in all things I have found to be content. That's what life has taught me so far because I've been through times of abounding and I've been through times of lacking and yet I can look back on it now at the ripe old age of (coughs) 64. I can look back on my life and say, he never abandoned me. He never let me go. I had tough days, I had hard days, I had suffering days. He never let me go. I had rich days, I had full days. I had days when he gave me overabundance, but he never let me go. He never let me be owned by my stuff, that's a blessing. But he also, in the times of lack, in the times of difficulty, he also got me through it. He also provided for me. So I'm able, like David, to look back over my life and say, okay, I am old and I have been young, but I've never seen the righteous forsaking nor the seed begging bread. So whether it's David in the Psalms, whether it's Jesus here in the book of Matthew, the same thing is being taught over and over again, which is seek first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And if that's what you are seeking, these material things, which are nothing to God, these are just words spoken to God. This is stuff that he can provide for you automatically. He says, I'll take care of the stuff. You seek the righteousness and the kingdom of God. And when you get that backwards... When you start seeking the stuff of this world, you'll be surprised how quickly you forget about God and you forget about righteousness because you're concentrating on stuff. And by the way, the stuff, whatever stuff you have, however much stuff you have, whatever stuff you have assembled in this life, collectively all your stuff and all everybody else's stuff is going to burn 
So how important is your stuff? How important is eternal life? Very. So then seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry. How many times has Jesus said that now? Why do you think he repeats it over and over? Because he knows our tendency. We're worry warts. We're stress heads. We're concerned about all the stuff that we don't actually have any control over. If we had control over it, we'd feel better about it. But because we're not in control of it, all we can do is worry about it. And Jesus keeps saying, don't worry. Rest in the fact that your father loves you. Rest in the fact that the one who spoke everything into existence is able to provide for you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. And boy, here's a truism. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So you've got the trouble of today to deal with. Why are you heaping on tomorrow's troubles? Don't worry about tomorrow. By the way, as trite as this may sound, today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. And that cycle just keeps going. Yesterday, you were worried about today. But you know what? Today, you're okay. Same thing with tomorrow. He's got tomorrow in his hand. You have no guarantee you're going to be here for tomorrow. So Jesus is saying, worry about today's stuff. Take care of today's stuff. And don't think about, what about tomorrow, next week, next month? The God who has provided for you for all the years that you've been alive is going to continue providing for you for all the years that are going to come because he knows how many heartbeats and how many years you've got in you. He knows the hour of your death and he knows the hour of your eternal redemption and he's going to provide all the way for you because his eternal plan is to get you to the eternal destiny that he has already decided for you. So you're not going to die of starvation along the way unless that's his plan for you. But if it's his plan to provide for you, that's what he's going to do. And Jesus said, concentrate on the things of God and the stuff of life will care for itself. He will provide it. Okay, so is that it? Are we all over our worry thing now? Are we going to go through the rest of our life? Fret not? No. Carla just gave me, yeah, I got that. We know, we know what it says. We know what Jesus said. We know what the promise is. This is a rock-solid promise based on the eternal mind and conscience of God. And yet, we're going to worry. Because that's just sort of part of our fleshly, egocentric selves. Because as soon as you start thinking, it's up to you to take care of you, you're going to make a mess of you. But if you recognize that it is God who cares for you and provides for you, then you're going to feel secure because it's not up to you. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Well, here, let me drive that point home then. Go to the next chapter of Matthew. Matthew 7. Okay, so I need something. I have needs. I have an actual need. What do I do about that need? Do I try to solve it on my own? Let's say that there's some pain in my body. Let's say that there's some real necessity in life going on. I, I really need some food. I could really use some help at this moment. Well, then what is the solution? Is the solution you get busy and fix your problem? 
Well, in Matthew 7, starting at verse 7, Jesus is going to tell you how to respond to your own needs. And the first word he uses is ask. You ask God. You go to God and you ask. Now, by the way, while he was reading his the scripture reading this morning, Steve made mention of the indicative and the imperative. I hope everybody in this room knows what those two words mean. Indicative is what you are. It indicates something. Imperative is what you do. Well, the word ask is in the present active imperative. In other words, it means ask, then ask again, then keep asking, and continue asking, and go on asking, and then keep asking. And then ask again, and then keep asking. That means that whatever you're going through in this life, whatever you need in this life, whatever you're dealing with in this life, constantly take it to God. Take it to God. Ask. Ask over and over again. And the promise is ask, and it will be given to you. No. The things that you ask God, you have to ask within the will of God. You can't just ask for crazy things. I asked God for a new car, and I didn't get it, so therefore, the Bible's not correct. And so you have to ask within the will and determination of God. He's already told you what his will is in the previous chapter, which is that you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things are going to be added to you. Therefore, within the seeking, then you're also asking, and you're also recognizing that whatever you have is a direct gift from God. He is the source, he is the provider, and you have not accomplished these things on your own. So part of the asking as a present active imperative, what you're supposed to do in a constant state, part of that is the recognition that it is God who is providing for you. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't say, go ask him. Now, by the way, look at the contrast. Jesus just said, your father knows what things you have need of. And he follows it up with, now go ask him. He doesn't just say, he knows what you need, you don't have to do anything else. He knows what you need, he's just going to give you stuff now. Instead he says, he knows what you need, now go ask. And keep asking. And recognize constantly your dependence on him in order to get through each individual day. Seek. Another present active imperative. Keep looking. Keep searching. I think that refers to things like searching for truth, seeking for answers, seeking greater understanding. Ask God. Seek for these things. And then finally knock and it will be open to you. Today, to us, that doesn't have the same sense that it does in first century Palestine. Typically, people would not knock on a door in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. They would stand at a gate and call out. Uh, sometimes they would knock at the gate, but if you knocked on somebody's door of their house, that's a bit of an intrusion to knock on somebody's door. And here Jesus is saying, knock. So he's saying, Go to God. Ask God. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep looking for the things you need. And then knock. Make your needs, make your wants, make your desires known. It's the same thing that Paul says, that we're to take all our prayers 
to God with thanksgiving. You go to God, you thank God, you ask God, and then you keep asking, you keep waiting, you keep seeking, you keep looking, and then knock, and he says, and it's going to be open to you. It's really astounding language the deeper you look into it because he is saying in a present active imperative sense, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Now the phrase, it'll be given to you and it'll be opened are future passive indicatives. There's the indicative to the imperative. In other words, there's something that's going to happen in the future. That's the future part. So you're asking and then it will be given to you in the future from your asking. But it is also in the passive sense, which means you don't do it. So even the Greek grammar is underscoring the fact you're not responsible for the result. The result is up to God. Your imperative, what you're told to do, is you go ask, you go seek, you go knock. The result of that is the result that God gives to you, you did not do it, and therefore you are passive as a recipient of the grace of God who responds to your asking, seeking, and knocking. But whether or not you understood the indicative imperative in that phrase, he's going to get real clear here and say, for everyone who asks, and he who seeks, and to him who knocks, it's going to be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Outside of Jeff, can you think of anybody who, when their son would say, Dad, I need something to eat, would hand him a stone? Well, of course, a good father would not do that. We all know enough to feed our children. So Jesus uses that as an example and says, or if he asks for a fish, you would not give him a snake, will he? I'm hungry, Dad. I need some meat and some bread. Well, you're not going to give him a rock and a snake. Okay, so we all laughed at it. We all laughed at it. It's a funny example. We all thought, yeah, yeah, we wouldn't do that. That's just silly. So Jesus wanted you to respond that way so that he could then say, if you then, being evil... No, not to do that. If you, in your depraved state, if you, in your sinful state, if you, in your fleshly state, know how to provide for your children, don't you think God figured that out? Where do you think you got that innate sense that you ought to provide for your children? You got that as a blessing from God. God who made man in his image, there are just certain things that are hardwired into us that are a reflection of the fact that you do belong to God, that you were made by God. And one of those things is you, you love your kids and you take care of your kids. Okay, same thing with God. That's what Jesus is going to say. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Does it make you want to ask yet? I think the asking is designed by God on purpose to keep us ever mindful of the fact that whatever we have, whatever we do, whatever we think, whatever events that occur in our lives, that it's all in the hand of an absolutely sovereign God and he's the one we have to talk to about it. 
He's the one that we go to with our needs because he's the only one who can truly provide it. Even if his provision is through somebody else, he still provided it because he created it in the first place. He even created that person in the first place. It's still, he's the first cause. He's the first source of absolutely everything. There's nothing that you have, nothing that you know, nothing that you think, nothing that you do that he is not the first cause of. And therefore, regardless of what it is, you just keep going back to him and you ask and you seek and you knock. And if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, just remember how much more than will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him. So in everything, therefore, says Jesus, in everything, therefore, Treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. We know that is the golden rule, but the context is important. Your motivation for the golden rule is your recognition that God has completely provided for you. And therefore, if God has taken such good care of you, you then can be kind to other people. You can treat other people well because you want to be treated well. But by the way, that golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. There's a version of that in Buddhism that I think is actually safer than, than the Jesus version. The Buddhist version of it is, don't do to others what you don't want done to yourself. Which is just safer, because I may not want done to me what you want done to you. So I like the idea of don't do to others what you don't want done to yourself. But when you're talking about God, God who inhabits his people with his own Holy Spirit, when you're talking about God who is both your judge and your guide through life, when you're talking about God who you recognize as your provider and you're in a community of people who are like that, then you can follow the much more difficult rule of Jesus, which is do unto others as you would have done to yourself. Because what do you want for yourself? Food and raiment. What do you want for yourself? Kindness, grace, forgiveness. What do you want for yourself? Long-suffering, patience. Okay, well then be that way with other people. Motivated by the fact that God knows what you need and he has provided everything you have and he has promised to continue providing. And that's why you keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Uh, Philippians 4, turn over there for just a moment. We'll hear Paul say something very similar. Right at the end of the book of Philippians, very last chapter, starting at verse 15, and we'll read to the end of the letter. You know the background, you know why Paul wrote to the Philippians. It's often called his joy letter. It was inspired by the fact that the Philippian church had sent a gift to Paul even though he was under house arrest, even though he was a prisoner. They sent a fellow named Epaphroditus who brought the gift to Paul. And so that's why it's often referred to as the joy letter. You need that background to understand some of the wording here. Verse 15 of chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, And you yourselves also know of Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. 
For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit, which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and look at verse 19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. According to his riches in glory. How many riches are in glory? Okay, so according to his riches in glory and through Christ Jesus, he's going to provide for all your needs in response to the fact that you sent a gift. Isn't that remarkable? And the promise is, it's all part of the same idea, whether it's the gift giving, whether it's the seeking first the kingdom of God, whether it's seeking his righteousness, it's all keep your mind focused on the things of God. Keep your mind focused on the important stuff. I like the phrase, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Just keep concentrating on the important stuff and God will provide for all your needs. And how will he provide for all your needs? Out of the riches of his own glory, out of the things that he already has, the splendor, the majesty, the creative power, the ability to speak things into existence, that's the basis of the promise that God's going to take care of you. And then he compares it to, look, you're evil. Mm -hmm. And in your evil, you know how to take care of your kids. How much more does your Father in Heaven know how to take care of you? Your job, your imperative, is to go ask. Go seek, go knock. Knowing all the while, and boy, this is a great inspiration for asking, seeking, knocking, praying. Knowing all the while that your Father in Heaven knows what things you have need of, and it's His good pleasure to give it to you. Why wouldn't you go ask? Why wouldn't you go seek? Why wouldn't you knock? My God will provide all your needs. He will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You can see why Paul would launch into that kind of doxology at the end of his letter after he has just assured the Philippians. And where does Paul get that kind of boldness? Where does Paul get that kind of sense that he can just say to the Philippians who have sent the gift to him, my God's going to provide for everything for you? It's because Paul has already learned that God provided for him his whole life. And that even though he went through times of plenty and times of lack, Nevertheless, God provided for him. He got through all of it. Therefore, he was able to tell anyone the same way that I can stand here today and tell all of you, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. And my evidence is, you're here. 
and he's provided for you everything so far however many years and days and minutes and hours that is he's provided for you all the way to here what are the chances he's gonna give up now he's gonna provide for all your needs because he has his riches in glory number seven your life then will become stable and grounded you won't be knocked out of balance by emotional circumstances or strong people strong persuasive people or the latest media rumors and lies the craziness of this world the latest virus you're not going to be knocked around by any of that you're going to be stable you're going to be settled and you're going to learn to go through difficult situations rather than avoiding them or rather than trying to find the easy way out you're going to recognize that God is still God and still right there with you even as you go through the tough times turn to Ephesians 4 and then we are done for the morning this morning Steve you read Colossians 4 Turn to Colossians 4, verse 12 for a moment, if you would. And the rest of us are in Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. This is about Jesus providing for his church, that he gives gifts to his church for the good of his whole church. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith ultimately the church is supposed to believe what the Word of God says that's why the Word of God is the standard for the church and that's why God ordained leaders within the church will point people back to the Word of God so that there is unity within the church but then we're supposed to grow up we're not supposed to remain children not only children in the faith but just children in the world we're supposed to grow up become mature and at some point become stable and unmoving and that's what the Word of God will do for you until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ okay so there's a stature there's a buildup there's a maturity to the understanding of Christ in the full and the longer you're in Christianity and the more you know about Christ the more mature you become in Christianity and as a consequence emotionally the more mature you become as a person and the more confident you become as the troubles of this life and the waves of this life blow against you waves don't blow the waves are gonna crash against you and the wind is gonna blow against you and it's not going to rock you and it's not going to change you and you're not going to be able to be pushed off the the very solid rock of Jesus Christ that's what maturity really is and that will give you confidence that will give you what we talked about last week the peace that passes understanding it will give you that sense of well-being it will make you worry less and it will make you grow in confidence 
that God has got every moment of every day handled. We attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Does that verse right there say that there are human beings on the planet who would like to trick you, who are crafty, who are willing to twist the word of God, who are willing to appeal perhaps to your ego, your flesh, tell you how great you are. There are people out there who are preaching a different gospel and a different Christ. Paul said so. So you have to know as you're growing in this maturity in Christ, you have to know what the word actually says and the more stable you become, the less likely you are to be rocked by the trickery of men and the craftiness of their deceitful scheming. That's strong language by Paul, but he wants you to understand that there are people out there who are going to try to take advantage of you. And they're not all selling used cars. There's going to be people out there who are just trying to trip you up in your Christianity. So as a result of growing up to a mature man, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but here's how we ought to be. Because we're grown up, because we're mature, because we're no longer children, we don't go in for that trickery and craftiness. Instead, we speak the truth in love. That's a really important qualifier at the end of that sentence. We don't just speak the truth. I know people who have spoken the truth and done it with cruelty. I know people who were right and hurtful. So we're supposed to speak the truth, but then also to do it with love. Where did we begin in this series? We began with, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love, one for the other. Love is the characteristic that that identifies genuine Christianity. And the more you grow up and the more you mature in Christianity, the more loving you are supposed to become sacrificially loving, doing what is right for the other person simply because that's what best benefits the other person, whether it benefits you or not. Getting into that kind of maturity and love, one more time, even the telling of the truth becomes subject to our love, our kindness, our graciousness, the way that we present Christ. Look, Christ was altogether lovely. The common people heard him gladly. Those are good Bible phrases. Because he was attractive to the common people and he was incredibly loving in sacrificing himself. And so then why would we represent him to other people in any other way than lovingly? Why would we do it harshly? Why would we do it cruelly? Why would we argue and debate with people and get mean about it when that's not what he's like? He's loving and kind and gracious and long-suffering. Why aren't we? And speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him 
who is the head, even Christ. Okay, now he's going to describe the body of the church and he's going to compare it to a human body, saying that Christ is the head, but then the whole body of the church is people that have been put in particular places by God. Jesus is still in the enterprise of building his church. And he fits everybody together with their particular gifts and their particular talents and their particular personalities. He fits them all together. Look around the room for just a moment. Under any other circumstances, what are the chances that you all would have found each other and become sociable friends with each other? What's the likelihood? Under what other circumstances? These aren't the people you work with. These aren't the people you live with, mostly. These aren't the people that you would see under any other circumstances. But you know each other, even from separate states, even from different countries. We know each other because God has knit us together as one body in Christ. He's the head, and we're all knit together. Here's what Paul says. We grow up in all aspects into Christ, into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Why does the Christian church stand as a body? Because the particular gifts, the particular talents, the particular personality of everybody that is in the church is fitted particular to that person for the good of the entire body so that the church can continue to work as a body. Christ is always the head. We are always trying to rise to that high calling of Christ, but in the meantime, we as a church accept each other, love one another, are sacrificial to each other, are patient, long-suffering with each other because it is Christ himself and not us who has placed that person in the body, and Paul just said they have a purpose for being in the body, and they are jointly fit into that body. And without them, the body would not be whole and would not be complete. In other words, a really, really sovereign God knows what he's doing when it comes to his church and who he's saving. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom, from Christ, the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every individual joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part and that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself collectively in love. Are you tired of hearing me say in love yet? If you're tired of hearing me say it, it's because that's how much the Bible says it. It just keeps saying it. That is the chief characteristic sacrificial love for each other is the identifier of genuine Christianity here on earth. So everybody that's in the church, who's actually in the church, I'm not talking about the physical community of the church or buildings of the church, I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ, the church that was chosen by God before the foundation of the world. I'm talking about the church that's going to be everlasting in his glory and singing his praises. That group of people through all the various ages have all been fit together specifically and purposefully and then given the abilities and talents that were necessary for the health of the whole church 
And we are all fitted together with this master plan of God. And so if you find somebody in the church that you're a little iffy about, that's why it's not up to you. It's up to God. You look disappointed. Did you just go, oh, it's up to God. (laughs) It's up to God. He decides who's going to be in the church. It's his church. It's not your church. Your job According to the imperatives of the passage we just read, your job is grow up. Your job is to grow to maturity. Your job is to keep seeking after the head. Keep seeking after Christ. Keep growing in your Christianity. I, a while ago, asked Steve to look up Colossians 4.12. Would you read that for us, Steve? Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That you may stand mature in God, in Christ. So growing, Christian growth is vital to what it is to be the Christian. You don't get to stagnate. You don't just get to stay in place. You need to continue growing. So today, what I've tried to tell you is, number one benefit is your earthly and material needs are going to be taken care of. So don't worry about it. God has gotten you this far in life. He's going to take you the rest of the way. He's a faithful provider. He knows what you have need of. And then if you know that, the more that you grow in Christ, the more that you understand Christian teaching and doctrine, the more you're going to realize that in Christ, you have everything necessary, not only for this life, but for the life to come. And therefore, not only can you stop worrying, but you can grow. You can grow up. You can grow into Christ. You can mature and therefore you become stable and you become grounded and you're not going to be knocked off balance by emotional circumstances or persuasive people or media rumors or lies on the internet. You're going to learn to just go through all the situations of life, including the difficult situations, and uh, you're not going to be trying to avoid them. Instead, you're going to be looking to God, asking, seeking, knocking, confident that he's going to get you through it. Because he's the same God who said, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will, with the temptation, provide the way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. He's a faithful God. He's a sovereign God. He has everything you need, and it's his good pleasure to give it to you. And that should make you feel very, very stable, confident, and grown up. Amen. All right? All right. Maybe next week... Or maybe the week after, we will start getting into our eschatological hope. There's no telling how many weeks that might take because once we sort of open that Pandora's box, I was going to say can of worms and I thought that was completely inappropriate for what we're talking. But, but yeah, once we open that subject, who knows? We might just go all eschatological for a while. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. We invite you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for weekly updates, books, Q&As and our ever-expanding audio archive. 
Join us again next time as we delve into the Word of God and study His sovereign grace.